You're listening to the Grace Point Northwest podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Grace Point Northwest is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. Now we hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday gathering. All right. Good morning, Grace Point. How we doing? Good. Hey, I know it's hot in here, so here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Go like this. Take that little thing we give you, that guide. You can go like this. It's totally fine. You're going to make it. We'll be okay. I promise you we'll be out of here sometime this afternoon. And uh, no, I'm just playing. We'll be done here in just a little bit. But anyway, my name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you this morning. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, feel free as you walk out these doors today, go to the New Here table. We have free Bibles there, both in English and in Spanish. And if you're new here today, this is your first time, we would like to encourage you to go to that table as well. Check out Pastor's Coffee, yes, but also check out that table. All we're going to ask you to do is text the word welcome to a number, and we're going to give you a tumbler and a free $5 Dutch Brothers gift card just to thank you for coming here, okay? Does that sound good? Who wants a gift card? Who, like, like some of you do, some of you do, but I, I, those who raise their hand, you're not first time, so sorry, okay? <laughs> so if it's your first time here, feel free to check that out. You also probably noticed as you walked in today, our giving wall. Like I said last week, every single year, we do a year-end giving campaign. This is an opportunity for us as a church to practice generosity by seeking to give above and beyond the regular offering to an initiative to further the mission and vision of Grace Point Church Northwest. And this year, it is our goal to raise $20,000 to purchase a new box truck. Now, the reason we are doing this is because if you've seen our box truck, it is really old. Our mechanic has actually told us it is so old, it's difficult to find parts for it. So if it breaks down, it could be stuck here forever, okay? And so not only that, but what we've noticed too is the ramp on the back of the truck is extremely narrow, making it unsafe to load and unload equipment. And so what we're asking you guys to join us in doing is giving to this initiative to buy a new truck. On that wall, you have just under 200 envelopes. Each of those envelopes has a specific amount on the outside. We would like you to prayerfully consider taking one of those envelopes, that amount on the outside, write a check, put cash in there, and stick it inside that offering basket. And what it's going to accumulate to is about $20,000 to help us buy a new truck. Now, here's the big thing. We have to keep the, the, the envelopes in the room. So if you go to a store and you break it, you bought it, right? Well, here's the rule. If you touch it, you bought it, okay? And so keep the envelopes here. And the reason for that is going to help us to know how we're doing with our goal. Last week, I believe we got about $1,000, and so that's huge. And so we're getting there, and so help us get a new truck. Sound cool? We believe God's going to use us to make a huge impact in this city for his glory and our joy. And so just join us in that endeavor. So let's pray again, and then we're going to dive into Luke 2. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that you give us so unconditionally through your son, Jesus. And I just pray, Father, as we go through the text right now, you know people's hearts. I don't. And so I pray, Father, that your word sits on our hearts and rests upon our hearts as you see fit. Some of us here this morning need to be encouraged. Some of us need to have faith awakened in us. Some of us need to have faith grown in us. So whatever it is, Father, may you work for your glory, our joy, and the defeat of the enemy. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, if you were with us last week, you know we started a new series called Advent. Now, the word Advent is just an old Latin term that means beginning or arrival. And so we've entitled this series Already and Not Yet. And the reason for that is because there's an already not yet reality to this time of the year. 
This morning, you and I are joining Christians in all over the world, looking back at Jesus' first coming while joyfully anticipating his second coming. And the thing that we are to do in between those two points that I believe God wants us to hear today is we are to have hope. We're to have hope. I mean, think about it. Do you have a lot of hope during this season? Andy Williams wrote a famous song called, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Some of you, as soon as I say that, you want to sing it. I will not sing it for you because that's joyful for nobody and it won't make it a wonderful time of the year. But the question is, is it really the most wonderful time of the year? Do you have hope or do you have something else, possibly disappointment or maybe even stress? When my kid was about two years old, my son, we went back to Kentucky where I'm originally from for Christmas. Now, my son, when he was two years old, wanted nothing more than a guitar for Christmas. I actually have a picture of him standing there in our living room with a frying pan as a guitar singing into a bike pump. And so when we were back in Kentucky, we decided to go to a flea market because I guess that's what you do. And so as we were walking around, I saw this little bitty guitar that I thought would be perfect for my son. I pick it up. I hand it to him. He's in the cart. And with that, he starts playing this thing really forcefully. He turns and he puts a little smudge on the side of it. And I'm thinking, there is no way this two-year-old is going to last, this guitar is going to last with this two-year-old. He's going to destroy it. He's going to do like Metallica or something and just trash it, right? Like, I just know we got to get rid of it. And so I grabbed the guitar, I hand it back to the person who owned it, and I looked at my son and I tried to explain to him in the most rational way I could to a two-year-old that we're not going to get this guitar, but we're going to get him a better one. What my son did next, I will never forget. He opened his mouth and no noise came out. Because what he was doing was the type of cry in which it first starts, no noise comes out. What did he do? He sucked all the air out of the room he possibly could. And as I'm talking to him, he lets out this cry, but he doesn't just let out a cry. He lets out the deepest burp I've ever heard come out of a two-year-old. And what I had fill my nostrils in that moment was digested powdered donuts and orange juice. Now, to my sadness, that was just the opening act for coming attractions were following. And what followed that burp was throw up. My son threw up on me, all over me, inside the flea market. You see, what was my son hoping for? A guitar. What was I hoping for? A new shirt. And many of us, when we come into the room today, we have hopes like that. We're hoping in someone or something. Some of us are like my son, hoping we get something under the tree. Some of us are hoping somebody likes what we put under the tree. There's others of us are hoping to see family and friends. And then there's others of us who are hoping to avoid certain family and friends. And still there are some of us who are hoping to get that special dessert he or she makes. And there's others of us in here who are hoping we just don't eat too much. You see, think about it. Think about those hopes. What's the problem with those hopes? Well, here's the problem. Things under the tree, what? Break. We give somebody a gift and they don't really like it. And what do they ask for? A gift receipt. Perhaps that certain family member or friend is not coming this year because they can't make it. Or maybe you end up like me and you go to the dinner and you find yourself planted next to the person you're trying to avoid. There's others of us in here who are not going to get that famous dessert because he or she didn't make it. And there's still more of us in here who are going, it's just completely inevitable. I'm going to eat too much and I'm going to feel guilty. You see, the problem with the things we hope for in this time of the year is they're not lasting things. Some of you in here, you think, okay, Scrooge, thanks a lot. I'm so glad I came to Grace Point Church Northwest. Woohoo, it's great. But the thing is, I love you enough to tell you that oftentimes the things that are competing for our attention in this world aren't things that last. You see, what's the problem with those things? They all end with the season. 
But God has come to give you and me hope that doesn't end with this season, but continues on for now and eternity. And that's what we read about in Luke chapter 2. But before we dive into Luke chapter 2, we've got to make a little pit stop over to Micah 5.2, and I'll explain that here in a second. Check out what it says in Micah 5.2. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Why is this important? When my son longed for a guitar, but I will tell you the people in Luke chapter 2 longed for this prophecy to be fulfilled for much longer. 750 years before Luke chapter 2, God makes a promise. He puts forth a prophecy through his prophet Micah that there would be a ruler who would come, who would be in the line of Judah, in the lineage of David. Yet this one who is to come is to be greater than David. Why is that? What does Micah say he is from? Ancient of days. What does that mean? It means he's eternal. Many of us in here, we can't understand this. We can't really appreciate it. 750 years. We struggle to wait five minutes for a caramel macchiato. I'm sure I'm not the only one who sat in the Costco gas line on fumes, just couldn't wait to get up there, forceful, just in anger, like, get me there. But for 750 years, these people waited for an everlasting hope to come into this world that would not fade away. And in Luke chapter 2, we see this hope break in. Better yet, born into this world. And it is a hope that came in a way you and I would not have invented and would not have expected. Listen to what it says in Luke 2, 1 through 5. <clears throat> it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all, who should be, that all should be in the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, but which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, in 2010, I had the joy of doing something, and some of you might remember this because you had the joy too. I filled out a census. Anybody ever done that, have done this before? Some of us had. The good news is I hear the next one's in 2020. So good luck. If you missed out on that one, you get 2020. But I sat in my house, and I remember it was warm. I had a cup of coffee. And for 45 minutes, I put in information about my family. I put in information about my kid's birth, my, my work history, my residential history. It was a joy. No, it wasn't. It was actually completely terrible. Worst 45 minutes of my life. When you hear this story, it's easy for us to think of something like that. And though these people were traveling, Mary and Joseph, to Bethlehem for a census to be registered, it wasn't quite like this. You see, the reason they were being registered was to be counted, yes, but also the reason they went to Bethlehem was to be taxed. You see, registration was Rome's way of getting their tax from the people. But not only was it their way of getting tax from the people, it was a way to, for them to make sure they knew how many young men they had to eventually draft into their ar armies. But don't miss the footnote. It's easy for you and I to feel bad for Joseph. But what does Luke tell us about Mary? She's with what? Child. What does that mean in the Greek? Any minute. Okay? The child is coming any minute. You've got to picture this scene. Bethlehem, or Nazareth and Bethlehem, were about 85 to 90 miles apart. With that, Luke tells us they had to go up. That's in elevation. And what did they go up on? 
more than likely the way they went up wasn't by car with air conditioning or heat. They went up by animal. So here we have Joseph and Mary, who is about to give birth, traveling a hundred miles to be registered to be taxed. How many of you have that on your nativity scene? Many of us don't. Is it the most wonderful time of the year? Probably didn't feel like it to them. You see, they're on their way to get taxed. They're on their way because of Rome's power. But it's easy to miss the big idea here, and it's this. God is in control. It's so easy for us to think that basically Joseph and Mary were just palms, pawns on a chessboard being moved all around by Roman officials and Roman governments. Yet that is why Micah 5.2 is so important. It tells us that in Micah 5.2 that there is more going on here that meets the eye. And what is that? Hope. Why? Because God is in control and he's ensuring that his hope is going to come into the world. Many of us, we find ourselves in a situation like that and we can put ourselves in that place. And the question we have to ask is this, how would you react? I don't know about you, but I'll tell you here in a bit, my wife had our kids all very quickly, okay? And I'll tell you, I'd be stressed out. I'd be angry. I'd be questioning God's goodness. But what we need to understand is that the source of hope that could help us during the seasons is to embrace the fact that though you and I may go through trial and tribulation, that does not mean the hand of God has been shortened. John Piper helpfully writes this. Listen to what it says. It should be up on the screen. For it is implicit in Scripture that all the mammoth political forces and all the giant industrial complexes, without their even knowing it, are being guided by God, not for their own sake, but for the sake of God's little people the little Mary, and the little Joseph, who had to be got from Nazareth to Bethlehem. We read in Proverbs 21.1, and this should be up on the screen too, it says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. The idea we get behind this verse is an irrigation system or an irrigation tunnel or a water channel in the ancient Near East. That what a farmer would do is he would take that channel and he would guide it wherever he wills, probably to his crops, now, you and I in the desert, we don't have a lot of irrigation channels and water channels, right? But what we do have in our house are water hoses. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who's figured out how to manipulate water to turn it where I want it to go just simply by putting my thumb over the spigot of the hose, especially when my kids come at me with water guns and water, or water balloons. I can just spray it. I direct it where I want, right in their faces. You see, that's the idea you and I are getting behind this text. God is using Roman officials to fetch from Nazareth to Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary. For what purpose? Micah 5.2. You and I worship a God who makes promises, but we also worship a God who keeps promises. And God had to keep a 750-year-old promise. That's what Luke's telling us. And where this becomes a warm blanket to our souls is you and I may not know what the future holds, but we definitely know the one who knows the future and holds the future. And what's his name? God. God or Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is the other answer too, okay? But yes, that's what we have. We have this hope. And so Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem, and it becomes time, it comes time for Jesus to be born. But the way Jesus was born is not the way in which you and I would expect. Listen to what it says in verses 6 and 7. And while they were there... The time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the end. 
One of the things about living in Las Vegas that is kind of helpful is we live in a city that people like to visit. And it's not uncommon for family and friends to come through town here to go to California. And it's not uncommon for them to say, hey, can I crash with you guys for a bit? And they'll stay in our home. That's very much what's going on here in this text. Joseph and Mary roll into town. He's going back there because that's where he's from. He's got family there. He rolls into town, he knocks on a door, and he hears these words, there is no room in the inn. Now, when you and I hear that, we almost instantaneously think of hotels and motels and holiday inns, and somebody's like, say what? But anyway, like, like that's what you're thinking about, right? You're, you're thinking about places to crash on vacation, yet that's not what's going on here. You see, that Greek word for in could refer to that, and it does in, in Luke chapter 10 with the story of the Good Samaritan. But more than likely, what this word means is what we see in Luke chapter 22, and it's the word for guest room. As Joseph and Mary roll into town, they knock on the door. A family member probably opens the door. They look at them, and they're like, oh, man, I didn't know you were coming. They look at Joseph and Mary, and they say, hey, the guest room is full. Your aunt and uncle got in real late last night. But here's the deal. You can stay with us in the living room. It'll be a little bit crowded, but that's okay. You see, houses during that time weren't like you and I think. Usually when you walked in the house, you had a ground level entryway. And then as you walked through that entryway that was kind of spacious, you took a step up and there was a platform made there where the family would live. And on that platform, there would be troughs in places about head level. So when animals were brought in, they could feed out of those troughs. And practically every single night within this culture, they would bring their animals into that entryway to protect them, to guard them, but also to heat up the house. And so the picture you and I have to get is not them necessarily out in the stable, but rather the picture we get is Joseph and Mary in a crowded living room amongst a poor family doing the best they could to make a trough into a crib. That's what's going on. And what we see going on here should just blow our minds. Some of you are like, well, that was really nice. You just blew up my mental Christmas story. But I want you to see what's going on here. Jesus did not come to the proud and powerful. Who did Jesus come to? The poor and powerless. You see, the internal hope, the 750-year-old King of Kings and Lord of Lords of Micah 5.2 did not come into this world with an entourage like Aladdin. I mean, we really have never met a guy like this before. The creator of you and me and everyone and thing we see entered his creation not on a throne, but lying in a makeshift crib inside a poor town like Bethlehem. I mean, let that blow your mind for a second. Most of us in here who have had kids don't have a story like this. When my son was born... I can remember, I told you, my wife had children very, very quickly. Joseph and Mary had to go 85 to 90 miles to the hospital. We had about a 15 to 20 minute drive. And the good news is, is that we only had a 15 to 20 minute drive because when we showed up at the hospital, my wife earlier that day, I, it was my first one, I didn't know what to do. She said, hey, uh, I think I'm in labor, I'm in labor, and I'm like, I heard this thing could take a little bit, can I go to the office? And like, I was just a jerk, right? And some of you are like, how dare you say that? She's like, no, I think we should go now. And so she's totally fine chatting it up all the way to the hospital. We get upstairs. She goes to the counter and she says, hey, I'm here for, you know, because I'm in labor. And with that, she just goes to the ground. 
Like, just like that, it kicked in. With that, they took my wife, they put her in a wheelchair, and they wheeled her into, no lie, a janitor's closet. Because that's what it said. They had no room, no guest room. The hospital evidently had no birthing room, so they took a janitor's closet and put a bed in it as a waiting room. And with that, they started bringing in all this equipment. And on my phone, as my son is coming into the world, I had the ringtone, Beastie Boys, what you, what you, what you want. <laughs> my wife had cake, no phone, no phone, I just want to be alone today. And when Grammy and Gramps in Phoenix found out my son was coming into the world, the entire time my son was being born into this world, his soundtrack was, what you, what you, what you want, what you want, no phone, no phone. All the nurses were like, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Like, that's not what, people came in. Lady had a war suit on, it looked like, and she delivered my child. I tell you all this to say, this birth that we see is nothing like that. Some of you go, well, that's a little bit crazy, but I'll tell you, it was least controlled and it was sanitized. This is in a house amongst crowded family in a trough that animals eat out of. And what blows my mind is, none of you would have ever made this up. Think about it. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, comes in this world, the creator of you and me. Do you ever think he would come in like this? Absolutely not. He comes in the most humble and meek way. Why? To identify with those he has come to give hope to. C.S. Lewis in his uh, book, Mere Christianity, helps us to understand the gravity of it. I think this is a funny quote. Listen to what he says. The eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that, a baby, and before that, a fetus inside a woman's body. And if you want to get the hang of it, think of how you would like to become a slug or a crab. That's what's going on here. The creator became a part of his creation. And with this hope that came to the poor and the powerless, we hear first about it from who? Sinful outcast. Listen to what happens in verses 8 and 9. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, just outside of Bethlehem, you had a bunch of shepherds working the late shift. And when you and I think of shepherds, we tend to think of nice, caring men kneeled down by the crib or the cradle, right, worshiping Jesus. But biblical data tells us that shepherds weren't nice, caring men. They're actually known for being thieves and liars and criminals. They were so irresponsible, they weren't even allowed to give testimony in court. And so what we have here is not necessarily the best and the brightest. We have the down and out. We have the outcast. That's who the angels came to. And we see that these shepherds are not just nice, cuddly men. We, we know from history that they're, they're sinful, right? They're thieves. But we also see that angels aren't fluffy babies on clouds with harps. Because how do these shepherds react when the angel shows up? They fall down in fear. But why did this angel first announce this hope to shepherds and sinners and outcasts? It's because this is what hope has come for. This is better yet, who hope has come for. Jesus has not come for all those who can help themselves, but Jesus has come for those who realize they can do nothing to help themselves. You see, the angel tells him not to fear he, because he has not come to make them afraid, but he has come to share hope that will bring them great joy. Listen to what it says in the next two verses, 10 and 12. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for what? All the people. 
Here's something I say every so often. If the gospel you preach isn't for everyone, then the gospel you are preaching is for no one. Jesus has not come for those you choose. Jesus has come for all the people that he chooses. That's who he's come for. He says, for unto this day, or for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. You see, the angel goes on to tell them not to be afraid, for he's brought them what? Good news. He has not brought them good advice. It's not like the angel showed up in this field and said, you liars, knock it off. You sinful people, here's three steps on how to stop lying and robbing and thieving. That's not what he said. He said, I've come to give you good what? News. Advice is about what you and I must do. News is about what God has done. And what does he say? Unto this day, to you has been born what? A savior for all people. When you and I turn on channel 13 or channel 3 or CNN or Fox or sometimes Sports Center, what are those people doing on those news broadcasts? They're supposed to not be speculating about what will happen, though they do that. But what do they do? They're supposed to report what has already taken place. And what has already taken place? A Savior has been born that will bring great joy to all people. You see, God's hope for you and me that is eternal is the sending of a child for every tribe, tongue, and nation. Think about it. God, who is infinite, became an infant, put on flesh, moved into the neighborhood called Bethlehem, and lived a perfect life for us and instead of us. And by becoming human as an infant, what does this mean? It means that Jesus can relate to you. He knows you. He knows what it's like to walk through this earth because he did it. You see, Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. You see, Jesus suffered in this life. He knows what it feels like to be hungry. Jesus knows what it's like to be sleepy. Jesus knows what it's like to weep. Literally, shortest verse in the Bible in John 11, Jesus wept over the loss of a friend who died by the name of Lazarus. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by a friend in Judas. And here's the, another thing. Jesus knows what it's like to take care of aging parents. Think about it, that he's on the cross, about ready to leave this earth, and he looks down and he sees his mother. And what does he say to his disciple, John? Take care of her. Jesus knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to suffer. And those things that entice us are not foreign to him either. For he felt the tug of sin, but he never gave in. Some of you are thinking, well, if he felt the tug of sin and he never gave in, then how can he really sympathize with us? But let me ask you a question. What's easier, to hang on or to let go? It's easier to let go. You see, what you and I have to understand is that no point did Jesus ever let go. He held on. I go to the gym sometimes, and I remember several years ago, I went in the gym, and they had this competition. They had a pull-up bar, and, they, and it was like basically two-minute hang. Like, who can hang from the pull-up bar for two minutes? Anybody ever seen this? They do it sometimes at the fair. And so what you see is you see all these guys get up on the bar, and they just start hanging there, right? 
And so I remember thinking, how hard can it be until I started seeing guys fall? They would hang there, and then they would let go. I remember hanging there because it was my turn. I made it to like a minute 40, and I was like, I'm done. I'm tapping out. Let me ask you, what was harder, to hold on or to let go, to hold on? Think about it. Jesus was enticed by every sin, yet he never gave in. That means he never gave in to the temptation. I would argue Jesus knows more what that feels like than we do because he felt it to the end. And you and I have hope that when we suffer and we find ourselves in sin, or finds ourselves in sin, Jesus isn't up in heaven going, come on, you slackers. What's wrong with you? Look what I did. No, he sympathizes with us because he felt the tug of sin and he never gave in. And in not giving in, Jesus brought something else. He brought hope that leads to something else. Listen to what it says in 13 and 14. And suddenly there was an angel, uh, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You see, as the angel finishes giving directions, a multitude of angels show up. And what do they start doing? They start praising God and they say, Peace among those with whom he is pleased. You see, the hope of Jesus that has come into this world has come to bring peace. And we'll talk about that more next week. But who has Jesus come to bring peace amongst? You and God. You see, biblically speaking, we are at animosity. We are enemies of God because of our sin. When you and I sin, we are not just merely missing the mark, though that's what it means. But I think it also means so much more deeper because when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and they committed that sin by eating of that fruit, do you think they were even trying to hit the target? No, they were pointed the other way. And that's what sin is. Sin is a refusal to acknowledge God's goodness and grace in our lives and basically rejecting him as God and saying, I'm going to be my own God. In Romans 5, 1, listen to what it says. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. One theologian says that the word for peace the angels use here is synonymous for salvation. You see, the hope that we get that lasts not just for a season but for eternity is the moment you and I place our faith and trust in Jesus and what he has done for us and instead of us by living the perfect life we were meant to live, dying the death we were meant to die, but also rising again, that when you and I put our trust in him and who he is and not in our best efforts, what does it say we have? We have peace with those with whom God is pleased. We have peace. All other ideologies, all other religions are about what you and I must do. But Christianity is about what God has done. You see, what Christmas is emphatically saying is this. You and I could not get to heaven on our own. So guess what? God had to come for us. Brennan Manning says it like this, and this is very descriptive. He says, our huffing and puffing to oppress God, our scrambling for brownie points, our thrashing about trying to fix ourselves while hiding our pettiness and wallowing and guilt are nauseating to God and our flat denial of the gospel of grace. Our approach to the Christian life is absurd as an enthusiastic young man who had just received his plumber's license and was taken to see Niagara Falls. He studied it for a minute and said, I think I can fix this. I can't help but to think that the reason many of us don't have true hope right now is because we're looking for hope in all the wrong places. 
We're looking hope for hope in an experience. We're looking for hope in a relationship. Or we're looking for hope around or under or on a wrong tree. You see, Paul says in Galatians 3.13, listen to what he says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Who put their Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving? Don't raise your hand. Here's what I'll say. If you put your tree up for that reason, you're holier than I am, okay? I kept mine down because I give the bird its day. But I'll tell you right now, I will never look at my tree the same again. Because cursed is the one who's on the tree. And the cursed one on the tree, Jesus, was on there for you and me. You see, our hope is not found what's under it. Our hope is not necessarily found in the ornaments we place on it. Our hope is the one who hung from it, but who is no longer hanging from it anymore because when he was on that cross, what did he say? It is finished. Went to a tomb and rose again. And those who know him and know that hope and salvation, they tell it to other people. We just sang about it. Look at these last five verses and we'll finish up. When the angels went away from, he- from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Who made it known to them? God. They didn't go looking for it, searching for it. God goes searching for sinful outcast people and he makes them family. And, when, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. You see, they waited 750 years for this. And as soon as they found out this is what happened, what they do, they took off. When my parents were in Phoenix and, I was t- and the, my kid was being born, it was their first grandbaby, I remember he was born less than two hours of getting to the hospital. And so when I finally picked up the ring from what you, what you, what you want, and my mom answered on the other side, I kindly and nicely told her as her middle son, you're missing everything. Caleb's already here. He's already taken his first step, taken and said his first word. She's like, what? He's there? What's going on? And then my mom and dad, what did they do? They drove that car like they stole it. Why? Because they were missing out. In the same way, when you hear of 750-year-old hope breaking into this world, you don't sit around and try to get things together. You make haste and you go see what it's all about. It says, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying God, praising, or glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. You see, when the song of the angels was over, the shepherds took off to see what the Lord had made known. And what was that? Hope born into this world. When kids are born into this world, what we tend to do is send out like uh, newsletters or postcards, right? We put it all over Instagram. Why? Because we have the means to do that. What did poor Mary and Joseph have to proclaim the announcement of their their child? Nothing. So what did God do? He did it for them. Through who? Powerful angels and sinful outcast shepherds who show us the reason Jesus came. Don't misunderstand. Enjoy what's under the tree. 1 Timothy 6 says, God gives us all things for our enjoyment. Enjoy what's under the tree. Don't just put your, just don't put your ultimate hope in it. You see, there's a greater hope, a greater tree that brings the hope of peace between us and God. 
And that's who we remember on this first or second week of Advent. Hope that we have. Do you know that hope?